Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. I try to put uh, you know my few summary takeaways in the show notes too to make it easy to decide if this will be useful for you. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. Episode 100, what have I, or we, learned so far on Mesh Musings, Mesh Musings number 22. So I want to start at the start. Why did I start this podcast? I could go back and listen to my preview episode explaining what I was trying to do, but I prefer to kind of change history or whatever and and think about maybe what, what I think that my concept was back then. So I started this podcast to be a helpful resource to people implementing Data Mesh. There was so much content out there about what is Data Mesh, what is Data Mesh, what is Data Mesh, and there really wasn't a lot of very kind of specific practitioner advice or practitioners talking about their challenges even. So I wanted to do this to... um, kind of talk to a lot of the people out there that are actually implementing, because otherwise this is going to take so many more years than it has to, if we can all share openly. So, you know, when talking to people implementing data mesh, that doesn't mean just telling the wins, but talking about the losses. I'm trying to find what is working and what isn't working so I can help people to better implement data mesh. And also to let people who are still on the sidelines, who aren't implementing and are waiting to let you all know that you're valid and you count too. I do not want to encourage people to do data mesh. I want to make it easy to evaluate if it's right for you and make it a smoother path to implementation. I know people are very confused by that because of the type of evangelism work I do, but I'm more of an advocate. I'm thinking uh, on behalf of the implementers and trying to source this information so everybody can kind of have a, uh, a smoother go <laughs> of it all. And I am happy to talk on the podcast to people not implementing because there are so many new areas of kind of practices, engineering best practices to cover. And I don't want you all to have to find that info yourself. Right. When we talk about SLO and SLA theory, like 
I want us to really think about, or I don't want you to have to go out there and find all of that information yourself. That's that's a big, big task. So back to the wins and losses aspect, I'm trying to encourage people to be open and honest about what didn't work. Again, I'm not trying to sell data mesh. This is tough. This isn't <laughs> an overnight success story. You're going to have to have a lot of kind of courage and will to push this forward. And I want people to be able to share what they've learned so far, what they've done so far, and that it's okay that you're not done. Nobody's anywhere done. Um, I'm actually working on a survey and I spoke uh, with another organization that's working on a survey. I'm guessing if we asked every organization to rate how mature their data mesh implementation is on a one to 10 scale, just about zero of the, you know, 250, 500 plus, well, we don't really know exactly, but that many organizations on this journey, I doubt more than, you know, five or six would say they are above a six for their maturity. We're in this together. We're all still early. I'm here to help you find the patterns. I don't know the answers, but I'm committed to helping you all find them, right? So help me help you, but also I'm, I'm not the, the expert here. Nobody is. We're way too early to have expertise on this. So if we can share with each other what's working and we can iterate a lot faster, it's kind of <laughs> what we're trying to do with data is how we should think about how we share data and information about our data mesh implementations. So I'm going to throw in a quick music interlude to follow, to break this episode up because it's going to be uh, a decent length. Okay, enough with the inspirational garbage. Let's talk about what I've actually learned. Okay, this is going to be a bit like that Mark Twain quote of, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead. I wish I had the time to slim it down a bit, but I think I want to cover a lot of these different topics. So first, I've learned somewhat, I think, how to podcast and especially how to interview people. Why is that important? Because I think if you hear kind of my journey from the first couple of episodes with my interviewing to more recently, I'm learning to extract context in a friendly conversation. This is how you should look to extract that context internally, right? Make it a conversation, not, not make people prove to you that they're worthy, right? It, it's a meta example, but I think learning how to exchange context appropriately is, is crucial. And I do that I think fairly well in, in spoken, but I'm not the best at it in, in written. You know, I would say, you know, as an example, I'm doing this on uh, the Friday before it's released and someone misinterpreted a quick thing I wrote on LinkedIn. They kind of assumed the worst interpretation I could imagine of it. And it triggered about 2000 words of four people all talking past each other. So context exchange is hard. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who's focused on exchanging my context and summing it up and sharing it with you, and I'm still struggling with it. So this is going to be hard, and it's okay that communication is hard, but it's, it's worth it. 
So a big thing I will also point out before jumping into more specifics, going at your own pace and implementing something like data mesh or, or even waiting a few years to see how it shakes out is a very valid choice. Don't do data mesh for the hype. Do it because you think it will help your organization. And another thing that I don't want to get into too deeply, but I'm trying to have empathy for people here. Data mesh is very much about empathy. If your organization isn't empathy heavy, you're going to struggle, right? It's okay if your organization isn't going to be the right organization for data mesh, right? I talk about it's okay if it's not right for you. It's okay if it's not right right now. If it's not right ever for you, that's okay. You're still valid. And feel free to keep listening <laughs> to the podcast as much as you want. Hopefully it's, it's interesting and useful for you. So a big topic uh, covered by a lot of episodes was kind of the domain-driven design for data and domains in general. I think there were six, seven episodes in general that, that kind of touched on this. So what I've learned, what you know, you can learn from the episodes is you don't have to memorize the blue book, you know, which is kind of the domain-driven design book by Eric Evans when he, he first kind of brought out the concept. That's a pretty rough way to go about it, right? It's it's a very, very dense book. It's hard to understand. So you can take certain aspects of it and you can look for other uh, resources. I think Vladek Kononov has a more recent domain-driven design book through O'Reilly that's uh, had a lot of people who really like it. I've read through a few of the chapters and it's much, much more approachable. Number two within this DDD for data, you can move forward with some fuzziness. You want a map of your very high-level domains in general to start moving forward, but it's okay to not have your domains kind of, quote-unquote, drawn in pen before you move forward. This stuff is also going to change, right? Number three, things will change, and that is okay. Look to the business processes to really drive your domain boundaries as technical systems aren't always the best differentiators of domains, but that stuff is going to change and evolution is, is fine. I'll talk a little bit more about the pain of evolution a, a bit later. Number four, it is okay to start moving on DDD for data. Even if you aren't using DDD on the software side, you will probably struggle more because it's all new, but you can still do it. And the fifth one, finally on uh, DDD for data, your domains won't map exactly from your domains on the software side if you are doing DDD. To start at the very high level, though, they probably can, right? <laughs> As you're starting to really, really think about at the very high level, it's okay to kind of look at mapping one-to-one -one at, again, that high level. For most organizations, the marketing department is the marketing department, you know? <laughs> Uh, another topic that comes up in many episodes but hasn't been addressed too much head on, the cost of, of change in data. Historically, especially with the data warehouse, the cost of change has been very large and change for, you know, that's change for the producers and change for data consumers meant something broke in the upstream, ruining their reports, right? Change was always bad. So we have to really figure out how we can significantly lower the cost of change and make for fast iteration like we've done in software. We need to make that possible. Easier said than done by quite a bit, but there is also as much scar tissue here as there are challenges, meaning people are extremely afraid of change relative to data, you know, like a data product changing because that change historically has been so painful. 
again, for the producers and the consumers, we need to address that psychology as well. A strongly emergent pattern in general is reuse. Yes, reuse of data, but reuse slash sensible defaults for all parts of the process of data product creation and management, right? We need to make it so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel constantly. You know, the more I talk to people, the more reuse so people don't have to, again, reinvent that wheel comes up. It comes up over and over in so many episodes. That can be reuse for a data model or schema, sensible defaults for your SLAs, default patterns for processing information, default input ports, all sorts of things. But really, it's about kind of so many of the data products out there don't have to be very complex or complicated. So if you can make it really easy to do that, boom, let's do that. Uh, A fair number of organizations, probably in the 30% range, I would say, from that I've talked to that are having early success are focusing more on learning to easily share data at scale than they are on the value of the data products themselves, right? They're learning that reuse because they think that that's more valuable even than the data products early on in in their life cycle. Those tend to be organizations that have less pressure to deliver right away, but it means they have the time and space to learn. But, you know, back to the point, always look for reuse. Data mesh is hard enough without every domain having to invent things from scratch. Think about finding those friction points and what can we reuse. And, you know, it's not just creating reusable data and in your data products. It's creating everything to make this easier to scale. Uh, another one was I looked into data first or data centric application development. I think it is a swing of the pendulum too far, as Andrew Padilla also noted in episode 99. And there isn't enough info on it, at least for me, on exactly how to do it out there, despite it being out for something like, you know, five, 10 years, whatever. So like, I think that, you know, data mesh is is kind of in the same boat, but it's been out or people have really been doing it only for the last maybe 18 months. And it's kind of a broader scope of of things, but I am trying to extract that information for folks. But I just think I was really thinking it was going that I was going to be all in on on data centric application development. And to me, it's interesting to look at, but I don't think it's really going to be kind of the big thing. One other thing that has come up repeatedly is the hard and fast requirement that to do data mesh, especially at this point, while it is so new and kind of incomprehensible in certain aspects. Your organization must have comfort with ambiguity and change in order to move forward with a data mesh implementation. If you do not, if you don't have a safe to fail environment, I think it's almost assuredly that you're going to fail. Data mesh requires testing and adjusting constantly. No one will probably in the history of all time, not just in the next couple of years, but all time, get even most things, you know, quote unquote, right the first time when it comes to data mesh. We need people that are able to <laughs> see what is happening and adjust. Another one common theme that comes up uh, a lot of episodes is just getting people to talk to each other. That feels obvious sometimes, but high context exchange, especially directly between data producers and consumers, is really hard, and it hasn't really been done much, 
right? People kind of schedule these meetings to go through tasks instead of let's actually just sit back and exchange our context and say, what are we trying to do? What, what is the point of, of this work? Your, your work has to have a reason for doing it. You know, a huge percent of data initiatives, they, they fail because of the people process side and, and mismatched or unmet expectations, right? I think it's like 80% of, of things fail, 80% of data initiatives fail. And it's like 80% of those are because of the people process side. It's just ridiculous. So another one that uh, I've dug into a lot and that we've heard of, heard from a lot of people about is data contracts. This was one of my first real deep dives into a specific topic. I think what I've found, which somewhat ties in another point a bit later about SLOs and reliability, is we have to get pretty explicit about data contracts. And when a team first publishes a mesh data product, you should have very loose contractual obligations and the consumers should drive the specifics, right? You don't need somebody saying, I'm going to produce with a timeliness of five minutes when there's really a, um, a need for publishing weekly, right? That's awesome. You don't have to <laughs> do the hard parts if you don't have, if they're not going to be of benefit, you know, if you need it with a short turnaround, but data quality isn't the biggest concern, awesome. Let's focus on speeding it up and that I don't have to say that everything has this super high timeliness SLA and super high uh, accuracy and quality and observability and everything else, right? Don't commit too hard to attain SLAs around your data products without a specific reason. Another one is empowerment. Uh, Big part of the more recent episodes have really touched on the power of empowerment. You are giving people additional responsibilities, but it's not just about giving them work, right? You are saying you trust them to handle the data in a way that will drive the business forward. It can be a powerful motivator if used correctly, but also live, look to give people that easy path, right? You want to empower people if they want to go off on their own and do some, some interesting, crazy stuff but you also want to make it pretty easy. So uh, another one would be data as a product versus data products. I'm gonna dig into this uh, later as well, but I think this is really important. Xavier Gumara Ragol's episode was pretty much focused only on this topic. It, it will be something I, I dig into deeper because you know, if you've seen my Calendly, it, there's a reason it is data as a product instead of data mesh learning, right? If you look at the website for this podcast, I wanted to launch Data Mesh Radio as a subset of the concept of data as a product. This is on the Data as a Product podcast network. Yes, at some point we'll be launching additional podcasts. That was in the works and things kind of fell apart. But, you know, uh, that to me is a very incredibly deep and misunderstood topic in my view. And one thing is people really hate in general using the term data quantum, but it really differentiates them from data as a product thinking. The mesh data product is just a manifestation of data as a product thinking. It's part of the end result, but it's not the only aspect. It's not just, oh, data as a product. Okay, just create data products. There's a lot more involved in that. Uh, the good way of deploying data marketplaces is another concept. So I mentioned recently in the Slack, I was dead wrong about data marketplaces because I was thinking of them as monetary exchange type marketplace. I was wrong. 
There's a lot of good things to come around this as you can easily standardize the way most people interact with data and make it a simplified experience. When you think about e-commerce, it's a single experience that most people have on each of the different sites. So, and for those who have deeper needs, right, they're happy to hit an API and do some more advanced things. So you don't have to focus as much on having everybody flow through that marketplace experience, but you do want to lower that bar, right? We need to lower the bar to leveraging data. Oh, and another thing is we also need to focus on lower the lowering the perceived bar to the data work too, right? We need to make it so that it's not as intimidating. You'll hear more about that in an episode uh, by Gretchen Moran, which I think is episode 107. So another one, applying the product mindset to your data. This one is different from data as a product, but you know, tangentially related, maybe just because it has the word product in it. But we need to focus a lot more on how we really think about data work, right? It's not just working through the JIRA backlog. We need to be much more rigorous in how we measure what we are doing with data. Oh, we got back some insight from our mesh data product that we might want to make XYZ change. Measure before the change, make the change, measure after. And good metrics, if you want to listen uh, on more on this, both uh, Sadie Martin and Katie Bauer's episodes are, are good on this. You know, some good metrics can be time to invalidate hypotheses, hypotheses tested over a certain time period, things like that, right? It doesn't always have to be about the exact impact because your data work is trying to figure out, should we do this? So SLOs and reliability, this one is a biggie for me. I really think we need to dig deeper into why SLOs, SLAs, and reliability really matter for data and to not just take a bit of learning from the software world. I think we need to think about it across a lot of different engineering um, practices. So we've only scratched the surface, but Emily Gorsinski's and Tim Tischler's episodes on it are really great. More to come. Centralize and decentralize what? You know, Juan Cicada talked about this a little bit. A lot of other folks have, have picked up on this. We've learned a lot about e that each organization is different and even each domain can be treated differently. Um, Sarita Bax talked about that in her episode. So look to figure out what makes sense. If it is centralized, does that prevent agility and scalability or does it support it, right? If it's going to prevent that, you don't want to centralize it if, unless you really, really have to. It's going to support it. You want to centralize it, right? Does it remove burden off the domain team that has nothing to do with the business context? Like a lot of the governance toolings and affordances and standards should be centralized, for example. But each team applies them to their own mesh data products. So last one would be find your people. This is a call to action, right? To call out to all you listeners out there, people in this community, people considering or doing data mesh want, often rather strongly want, to connect and share context. You have to do some work to find each other, but reach out to each other. It's great to find a group of people to compare notes with. I should know. <laughs> I'm doing that out loud on the podcast. So I've got another quick music interlude, and then it's what I hope to cover in some of the next 100 episodes. I'm getting a bit tired, so I'll go through these a little bit more quickly. <laughs> um, 
so what are some questions we still have to address really? And, and hopefully I'll be able to get to a lot of these in the next hundred episodes. In general, you know, Shane Gibson and I talked about this, but what are the patterns? This is what I've been trying to extract from people. We don't have a great picture of all of them yet. You know, typically these patterns take years to emerge. Let's share what information we have with each other so we can better identify the patterns. But I think we really want to say like, what are the, what are people doing and what's working and what's not? We want to make that again, something that everybody can kind of test out and try for themselves. Another one that's come up a lot, but I don't think we have a lot of great answers on is driving buy-in. It is super organization specific. So it's very hard to do more than generalities, right? It's like, oh, okay, uh, do I have to list out every different type of person and how you'd work with them depending on their situation? And the, the matrix of that just explodes, right? There's way, way, way too many different uh, vertices in that. So, but I'd love to, to talk with people and have like 50 stories that people just talk five minutes of how they drove buy-in with you know, certain domains. That sounds nuts, but we have so many awesome stories and people could really take a lot of that to apply to their org, you know, find a couple of stories that really resonate with them and, and try some of those approaches. Hopefully I can get to some of that stuff. Another one that people have gotten very noisy about in the last couple of weeks is data modeling. I think the challenge with data modeling is that current practices just won't get us where we want to go, right? So we need some brave souls to pioneer new evolutions of the way of, of working with data and data modeling. Is that Data Vault 3.0? Is that something off OWL or RDF or 3NF or lots of other acronyms? I really have no idea what they mean. I don't have a clue here, right? This is so far outside of my scope of expertise. So current frameworks, though, and approaches probably aren't robust enough to really accomplish all we want, right? So we can say use X or Y or Z for now, but the truth is we don't have what it needs to be in the end state. So trying to tell people this is good enough, they want to, a lot of you, a lot of people out there, especially that aren't listening to this, want to lock in and say, okay, that's that's the way to do this. This is the way to do data mesh. Is that data vault or is that, you know, whatever else. Another one um, that I've talked about a lot and that I'm really passionate about because I think it's just something that feels like we could be much better about this would be analytical APIs. So Chris Ricamini's episode covered some of this. We clearly just don't know how to do analytical APIs well yet. It's a big missing piece. Anytime I talk to people who say, we know how to do data APIs, they're talking about the ones and zeros. We don't know how to do information sharing via APIs yet. I think that's something that we need a lot of people to dig into, and we need a lot of uh, community collaboration to figure out how to do that. Talked about this earlier, but the cost of change in data and generally speaking versioning, especially like that kind of controlled and smooth versioning. I know there is a better term for how to do that uh, versioning so that it's not non-abrasive, it's not breaking <laughs> versioning, but I just can't remember it right now. So as I mentioned earlier, historically, the cost of changing things in data has been extremely high. It's been extremely expensive, Expe expensive in effort and time and just trying to make it all work. You know, Angelo Martelli mentioned in his episode, it was often taking them eight plus weeks to make a change for their beta warehouse. 
And by the time the change was made, it was obsolete. We need to make change not painful, but we haven't really figured out how to do that well, right? Maybe some of you have. Come talk to me. Share with me what you're doing. We need to make it so, and again, we need to work on the psychology as well because people have scar tissue around this, but we really need to figure out in all different aspects of data how we can make change, um, you know, kind of not quite so expensive. Uh, data as a product mentioned earlier with the differentiation between data products. Uh, this was originally going to be the main focus of the podcast. I think it's truly the most import important part of data mesh. And the concept of data as a product is applicable outside of data mesh as well. I want to dig into it more, but it's kind of a, a difficult topic to really dig into because a lot of people don't want to take a bunch of product management things from outside of even software and bring them into dealing with data. So interoperability, very, very deep topic. And I, I honestly just have no idea about this, right? Uh, this is, again, you know, data modeling, interoperability, these things are so far outside of my scope. I haven't really worked deeply with, with data in this way. So I'm really hoping we can get there on this. Samia Rahman's episode was great, but we just kind of grazed the surface of, of how do you actually do interoperability and how do we evolve towards it? And do you have to do all of your standards up front? I don't think you do, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And that's where a lot of the value lies in, in data mesh. I've talked about Scott's confusing ass equation before, which is, you know, what's the value of your overall data mesh implementation? It's not just the data products, but it's the interconnectedness between those. And so, as you have more and more data products, the interconnectedness, you know, each data product, the value is essentially scaling linearly, but your connections to other data products is scaling kind of exponentially. So that's really important to get that interoperability, but, you know, we can evolve towards it, I think. Uh, we don't have to have it all figured out up front, but we do need to have people working together to share how they're doing interoperability. So another one would be who should be the data product developer? I led a community discussion on this as it is a real major question. You know, who should be that data product developer? Is it an embedded analytics or data engineer? What about what ITV is doing with a consultant team in a box to help teams to learn how to create these data products and really walk them through it and make it easy for them to create their first or, or first couple of data products and then kind of move on and the team manages those data products? Or do we ask the developers to be the data product developer, right? The, the software engineers and the general app developers. Um, NAV is doing that, a lot of other people are doing that. I think all three are valid and have their, their pluses and minuses. Another one, just how do we leverage knowledge graphs, right? We had three great episodes hosted by Ellie Young but there is still so damn much to understand here. That experience plane is going to be a major driver of data value, right? Through the interoperability and combination of data across multiple data products. So how do we actually enable it? Again, uh, we talked about somewhat about what to centralize and decentralize, but like how do we move from centralized to decentralized or decentralized to centralized when the time comes and how do we measure what we should be doing there? How do we measure success? Dave Cole's episode was about fitness functions. So I think that's important, but like how, what are we measuring? Are we, 
you know, so many people are thinking that we can easily measure the return on investment. And I just haven't seen a lot of people out there. Another big one is how to talk to the business, right? Like, how do you get them bought in? How do you, what, what should you share about this? I, I tell people, don't talk about that we're doing data mesh. I think if you were to even not say, mention data mesh, but you were to try and explain all the things you're trying to do with data mesh in one go, it's information overload, right? Versus chunk it up and tell them, okay, we want to empower you to own the data. We want to make it so that you, we, we trust you to share and because you're the one who knows this information the best. We want to enable you. We want to give you the resources. But, you know, that's one one aspect. But that's just part of the conversation. I, I think what we really need to dig into is how do we actually have those conversations? And, you know, so we prevent the information overload and we prevent kind of the selling aspect, right? You should really be listening to their pain points, talk to their pain points and and kind of do do things from that perspective. So sorry, I'm, I'm sure I missed some things. I'm fading here at the end, but I think all of these are topics I'd love to cover. If you have guest ideas, please do let me know. Um, I've got some some interesting folks coming up on the governance side. I think, you know, uh, that's actually one that I didn't even talk about that we need to cover a lot more in depth is governance. Everybody really, really is trying to figure out what the heck does federated computational governance actually mean? You know, governance itself already has like kind of 17 subtopics that don't all really go together. And so we've just kind of thrown it in the, on the stewards, the data stewards laps, and that's not fair. So, um, and then you add in the computational aspect and it's just very difficult. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that's, that's hopefully coming up, but you need I'm here to go out and find information for people that are implementing. So I need people telling me what they want information on. So with that, I hope we can work together (laughs) on the next hundred episodes and that um, so far this has been useful and it continues to be into the future. As always, if you want to get in touch, my contact information is in the show notes. You can find me pretty easily. Best place is the Slack or or email, but um, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm here to be helpful. So thanks, everybody. Hopefully that was a useful mesh musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music.